I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Pronman, back with another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. Should be a really fun show today. Corey's individual U23 player rankings are now out. We're obviously going to talk about those. Got resolution on the Kakadiemi saga with Carolina. We got the Olympics and a really great mailbag that I am excited to get to. But first, Corey, how's it going? It's going well. I mean, we're kind of ramping up uh, into the start of hockey season right now. Um, you know, I've been watching... Because they're the kind of the only leagues that are in regular season. Been watching a lot of like you know Russia, KHL, VHL, MHL games right now, uh, and starting to really get like what an idea what a travel schedule is going to look like for the upcoming season. You know, uh, still some lack of clarity on on some important things, uh, particularly when it comes to traveling to Canada. Uh, but now we have uh, you know we have a U18 World Championship host cities. Uh, you know we're gonna you know it's gonna be not gonna be in Munich, but it's gonna be Munich adjacent. Um, so that's that's exciting uh, for for next spring and trying to you know get an idea of now what we're gonna be doing before then you know I'm starting to plan some college and some junior trips and uh, and and we're we're off and rolling right now to be quite honest. I mean a week from certainly by the time this episode is airing, you and I are gonna be in Traverse City at the Prospect Tournament watching a lot of these guys that we're talking about uh, today and over the course of the series. In action, which really, uh, it does not seem like we're only a week away, and yet uh, I guess I better kick into gear here. No, no, trust me. Based on my uh, looking at my my my, uh, my Delta and my Marriott app, I can very much tell you we're, we're underway. And I'm actually going to be flying uh, from Traverse City to the Arizona tournament um, in the middle of that. So I'm going to try and hit two of those uh, to get like a you know a, a good coverage, especially since Traverse City is only five teams this time. And they're not doing the thing where they have like staggered games and getting a lot of action in. Uh, so I'm definitely going to try and go to two tournaments uh, next week. My Marriott uh, balance is suffering right now. I uh, I, I I was disloyal to, to the brand, so I'll have to uh, I'll have to take that up with uh, the the Marriott uh, bosses at some point, I guess, or the, or the Marriott yeah, gods. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, and this is not just a hockey thing. All sports <laughs> writers, all scouts across all sports. In case listeners don't know, have to stay on Marriotts. It's actually like they make you sign a contract. Um, <laughs> when you decide to get into this line of work yeah so i've been i've been disloyal to the entire profession by uh by booking outside of the of the loyalty brand but that's okay i, I you mentioned the arizona tournament that is that the most stacked of the prospect tournaments that are going to be taking place kind of across the map this year i mean there's more popping up obviously but that one i guess not surprising when you look at some of the teams that are yep. going to be at that tournament but is that the most stacked prospect lineup that you're going to see this this fall yeah, no, for sure. It's why I thought it was a priority to get out there. You know, you have the Kings, Anaheim, San Jose, uh, all with deep farm systems. Arizona starting to build, you know, a deeper farm system. Colorado, contender, but they have some really intriguing young players. Uh, you know, that's you know, a really good, be a, a lot of talent there. And there's some guys who are even bringing like some older prospects to, to, uh, to that thing too. So uh, I, I'm really excited for that one. Not that I'm excited for Traverse City, but I'm really excited for that one. 
All right. Well, we'll get into some of that uh, a little bit more later on in the show, but I, I wanted to start off. Let's kind of tie the bow on the Spiricot Kaniemi saga. Uh, last week, I think both of us said we, we probably would not match in Montreal's shoes. That is indeed the conclusion that they come to. And they very quickly um, kind of resolve the whole situation. They, they trade uh, for Christian Dvorak out of Arizona. Arizona now with an absolute stockpile of picks. We're definitely going to get to that later. Um, but overall, any kind of final thoughts on the Kotkaniemi saga, what it means for Carolina, what it means for Montreal? Yeah, I, you know, kind of watching the coverage of this, from uh, not from afar, because you know, I know the player and I've written about, written about the player, but in terms of like seeing the both the, the commentary from media and from fans about this, I I I understand why some would be critical of Kotkaniemi. He hasn't had you know a tremendous success in the NHL yet in his three seasons he's been up with the Canadians. Um, and, but I also think he, he's still a good player. Um, you know, it's hard to kind of make these disconnects sometimes when guys are in the NHL so early, but, you know, imagine Kakaniemi was still in Liga right now, or he played SHL or something at, at the ages of, let's say 18, 19, 20, uh, after how successful he was as a prospect when he was 17 years old, you know, there would be a lot more excitement, I would imagine, for this player. And we're going to get this when we get to the U23 discussion, talking about, like, comparing, like, more insider to, like, a guy in the NHL already or something like that. And and you have to kind of, you know, the NHL is a really, really hard league um, to to excel in. And But I still think when you look at Cockney and me, you have a 6-2 forward. I think he could, be, he could play center, but Carolina's already said he'll start on the wing. But I think they've envisioned him long-term as a center. You know, we'll see what happens, obviously, with guys like Trocek and, and, and those kind of players next summer. And I see he's got a great skill. He's got great vision. Competes well enough. Skating's always been an issue. It's still an issue. Um, that's probably why I don't think he'll ever hit the highest echelons of production. But I still think you have those things in that player. I think he could be a good player. I'm not sure he's going to be a great player, but I think he can be a good player. I think he can be a guy who can help Carolina win hockey games and be maybe not one of their best players, but a, a semi-important piece of a good team, you know, because he was just, you know, in his 20-year-old season. Let's see where he's when he's 21, 22, 23. You know, those are, those are you know, years where even like good prospects are just then starting to make the NHL. So I think, you know, yes, six million, he's overpaid, especially on a second contract, no RBers. Nobody, I don't think anyone in the hockey world is going to dispute they overpaid. But that's what they had to do. Otherwise, Montreal would have matched. Like that's, that's how the offer sheet would have to have worked for them to get that player. Um, and, you know, like I said, that, that's kind of where, where I stand on that one. And, uh, and we'll see what happens. I think Tavorak is a good player, too. You get him for, you know, a little bit older, maybe a little bit closer to free agency. Uh, but but uh, I still think he's, a, he's you know, a good player. So I'm, I'm not sure. Montreal probably feels like they minimize the damages there to some extent. I'm not sure I call them winners because I don't think they really, like, you know, I don't think they love getting like, bullied out of their third overall pick. But right. uh, you know, I think they did a good job minimizing the damages. Well, you covered a lot of this, so I'll just bring bring it up from the mailbag right now from Andy Vizi. We, we would have gotten into this later in the show, but, you know, he wants to know kind of what Canes fans can expect, strength and weaknesses, play style and comparables. I think you covered a lot of it just then, but I think kind of the play style and comparables one seems to stick out. And I, I'm guessing, you know, Carolina here is probably looking at this and saying, if things go well, yes, even without kind of blazing speed, they can probably still get a, a pretty strong two-way center here that can impact the game in a number of ways. Yeah, I think, you know, and you know, frankly, he plays the game a lot you know, along the lines of how a lot of the guys they've acquired through the draft the last couple of years with him, with his skill and his hockey sense, you know, being major assets and him, you know, actually having good size. Um, you know, those are, those are big positives. And, you know, whether he's a, you know, I don't know, you know, I mean, I, I project him to still be a top six forward. You know, there's a, there's a margin of error on that as there always is in projections. Maybe he's a third line forward. Maybe he's just like an okay second line guy. Maybe he really pops and becomes like a fringy first line type of guy too. Um, I think those are all possible. I mean, you could kind of like you know, go through some of the centers in the league off the top of my head and think of guys with subpar feet but great size and skill, you know, and good enough competitiveness. And like, that always come off the top of my head like right right away, um, unfortunately. But um, but yeah, I still think I think he's going to help Carolina. And given his age, I think he'll help them for a while. 
All right. Uh, the other kind of big news item from the last week that, you know, we didn't, it wasn't quite out in time for the last show. That would be the NHL going back to the Olympics for 2022. And, and obviously when you're talking about the Olympics, you're really mostly talking about more established players. You're talking about veterans, guys who, who have been kind of deemed to be the very best that their country has to offer. Um, those are kind of the main player pool that we're talking about, but we could see some guys who at least right now certainly are considered in the, in the U23 range, maybe even some prospects. Um, in, in that range. And I would think kind of the main countries for that would be Finland, Russia. I don't know if any of these really, I mean, Pedersen, I think obviously crack I mean, should play a big role for Sweden. I think Brady could chuck the Canada for the United States too. Jack Hughes. Any, I mean, USA is pretty deep at center now. Yeah. It depends how his season goes. I think if he has, if he starts a little better than he was overall last season, like if he's not just like pretty good, but he's like, you know, if he's really good, like, it looks like a legitimate first line center that may not still be enough to push him over the edge. But if he like looks like a monster in the first half, you're like, Oh, that, there he is. Like that's the, that, that's the guy we've been waiting for kind of thing. Then doing it consistently over, let's say a, a couple of months span, they got to put a long list out by October, I think, but, but I presume he'll be on the long list. And, you know, if he does it over, over, over the first half, then I think he's a guy who definitely can work himself into the mix, but he's going to need to have a strong first half, I think. What's the difference in how you'll watch the Olympics versus how you watch kind of the world champion? I mean, it's, it's true best on best. Like it's, that is one big difference between kind of the world championships and, and the Olympics. Yeah. And at least from a young player perspective, there's not going to be as many options, you know, when the, with the world championships, it's always, uh, you know, outside of a couple of countries, uh, for some countries, it's who, whoever wants to play for us sometimes. Yeah. Um, so you do get more young players, uh, for some of those nations. Uh, like Russia, though, will tr- usually try to bring their best roster, like as a as a as a counterpoint to that. Um, so yeah, I mean, with last Olympic Games was a little different, as you might recall. Like there were some, you know, a lot of like you know European players. Uh, Eli Tolvanen from Nashville had a huge tournament uh, at that uh, at the Olympics. I think Haskinen was there too, if I recall. Um, much different vibe to that one as opposed to this one, which is truly best on best and. It will be interesting measuring stick, not just for any prospects that might go or more young players, but I think just for the NHL players too. I think these are these tournaments tend to form perceptions for a very long period of time. You know, if particularly when you're going to start looking like who fits into Canada's like top six or who's going to be like the best defenseman on Team USA. Will it be will Fox emerge? Will McAvoy be the become the go-to guy? So on and so forth. And I think those opinions. From my experience watching other the other best on best Olympics tend to have very long lasting effects on public perception of those players. Germany, another team. I mean, obviously you're looking at uh, you know Leon Dreisaitl, not a prospect anymore, but more insider there. I mean, I, I got to think John Jason Paterka and Lucas Reichel, Tim Stutzler are getting not just probably long looks here, but could get decent deployment on a German Olympic team. Yeah, no, for sure, definitely Stutzler and Sider. Um, Reichel and Paterka, you know, I think will, will be on the teams, whether they play high roles or not. Still to be determined, they'll still both be teenagers. And even though Germany's not one of the high-end nations, uh, they, they're they still, you know, good enough, have enough depth there where they may not be the most prominent players on those teams. Uh, Slovakia will be an interesting one just because they have two really high-end guys for this year's draft and Juro Slavkowski and Simon Nimec. Uh, they didn't play big roles with them when they left the qualifiers. So uh, I don't know whether they will actually, um, you know, be on the team, but uh, but we'll see how their first halves go. Real quick, give me your medal predictions on on the twenty twenty two Olympics without knowing any of the rosters. <laughs> like I don't, know, I think like the, the safe money is Canada just for the gold, just for the gold medal. You look at you look at the roster, and it's it's pretty they're pretty stacked. I think if Jack Eichel is healthy, USA has a shot at to win gold. I think they their, t- their team has a has a really has you know maybe not the exact kind of forward depth that Canada has, but I'd argue their defenses can go toe to toe with them for sure. Goaltending right there may even be may even be better. So yeah, I think if if Eichel is healthy and looks like Jack Eichel, then I think that, then I think they're in the mix. And then there's probably you know it's between Sweden and Finland for for would be the bronze. I think with Russia, their their wingers are amazing, but their set center problem is a real problem. Like it's a real problem with Kuznetsov not being available. Uh, we were like struggling when we were doing our predictions for the for the article to think of who the centers would be. They had to lean kind of on my KHL knowledge to where I thought Shipachov made sense, but Shipachov 
couldn't make the NHL. Like, you know, it's, like, it's, I like Shepachov and I watch him in the K, but he's not a good skater, kind of like not overly like physical, competitive type, just really high skill IQ. Um, you're looking at Vlad Kamenev, who couldn't stick in the NHL. You know, you, you know, it's, the options are bleak. And I think you're, I'm watching the KHL in the first half now, and uh, we're, we're like wondering, like, okay, who's the guy who might emerge here? I was talking with like Mike Russo a couple of days ago. We were wondering whether like Kuznadinov could be in the mix, although he doesn't even play wing. He doesn't yeah. play center in the KHL, even though he's. I think he'll play center at the World Juniors. He plays wing in the KHL, so he's not well, realistically as a teenager not an option for that high level. But uh, I, I think they are hoping that uh, somebody emerges in the K in the first half. The one thing is they do have the best goalie in the world. And I, I, after, honestly, the last couple of years, I'm not sure that it's even all that close. Like, I think Andre Vasilevsky is your number one with a bullet goalie in that tournament. And in any short-form tournament, a elite goalie play can put you in position to, to get on the podium. Yeah, no, I'm not ruling out Russia. You know, you wouldn't rule out Russia being a medalist. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's going to need to have the week of his life pretty much too. Given the kind of offenses they'll be playing, and given that I think their defense is fine, but it's not amazing. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, now we're going to get into your individual U23 rankings. We covered kind of the team rankings uh, last week on the show and probably not surprising that there's a big presence from those teams at the very top of this list. But number one, Kale McCarr from Colorado. What made Kale McCarr the number one overall prospect? I know he's in a tier with Andrei Svechnikov there at tier one, but what made Kale McCarr the number one overall U23 player in, in, in hockey? Yeah, I think you kind of look at the things he can do with the puck on his stick. He kind of has every element you want uh, in a top player. Uh, the skating is extremely good. The skill and the playmaking are all, are all excellent. Um, you know, he's not like what you think of in terms of like the flashiest one v one skill type, but I think the the unique plays he can make with the puck as a distributor. Uh, when he has the puck, he maintains possession incredibly well. You know, very hard to for defenders to get the puck off him due to his skill and his skating. Uh, you know, walks the blue line as well as almost anybody in in the National Hockey League for those reasons. He can make plays. He shoots it really well. And uh, you know, when he was coming up. Um, as a as a junior, and then in the in college, the the knock on him was always as kind of like a slightly undersized player. Um, the defending was never really a huge selling point in his game, and I still don't think it's why you like Kalen McCarr. You know, I, I think you know you compare him. This makes some of the other premium young defenders, like say like Charlie McAvoy that I mentioned before. Like you know, he doesn't play like McAvoy does, but I think the defending is good enough considering just how elite the offense is and how good. It's not just. Ozone offense. It's three zone offense because of how good the skating is that he can be great in transition and great inside the offensive zone that you look at a guy who, as long as he defends just well enough to play the 25 minutes a game that he needs to, um, you know, he's a driving force of one of the best teams in the National Hockey League. I thought two versus three in your rankings was a really interesting kind of I don't want to call it a battleground, but, it, but decision. Svechnikov versus Elias Pettersson. Svechnikov is, has been a force, but so has Pettersson already. Uh, one draft separates the, the two of them. You land with, with Svechnikov out ahead. Why? Yeah, and you know those are tough discussions, and I know Vancouver fans, as they always are, um, very passionate group of people. I respect their passion. Uh, I kind of knew I was going to hear about that one, and you know, but I think both of them kind of took a little bit of a step back this season. Neither of them had uh, the years I think you thought both of them would. So it really comes down to a tool projection. Really, um, you know, with Sveshnikov, I see a guy who kind of like Makar, but even maybe more than Makar, 
um, but less proven track record in the NHL. He has everything you want in a top forward, other than him being a center. I mean, you, you kind of go through the criteria. Does he have great speed? He does. He has amazing puck skills. He's got really good vision. He's got a really good shot. He's competitive. He's physical. He has good size. Um, you know, he, he, there's all the indicators are there to go with the production, to go with him being a, a you know a go-to player last year on a good team. That makes me think, you know, when he showed all this at such a young age, that I think the sky's the limit for this guy. Uh, I know he hasn't had the huge, huge, huge season, but he's like what two years removed from being like roughly a point a game too. Like not maybe not it wasn't maybe a point a game. I remember him. He his nineteen year old year. He was he was really good. I forgot the exact numbers. Um, but I think all the indicators are there that he's going to have a very long, successful NHL career. And I think all the um, things you look at with his attributes point to him being an elite NHL player. And I think with Pedersen, you know, there's a little bit more proven track record there um, because I took like kind of like Sveshkov took a, maybe didn't have the greatest year you you hope from him, but he still was an excellent, excellent player. Um, the skill levels among the best in the National Hockey League, uh, you know, very creative playmaker, elite wrist shot. Uh, probably doesn't have all the dimensions that Sveshnikov has in terms of the skating, particularly. And I don't think, you know, the physicality will match up to Svech. But he also, you know, even though he's not like, you know, like this, you know, this bruiser, he's still actually quite, you know, actually at a decent size. And it, it helps him do some things out there, particularly when it comes to puck possession. Uh, so yeah, it's like, it's a marginal thing. Like, you know, that's kind of what that's, it's always funny when I was reading, like, I didn't read all the comments cause I need to maintain sanity. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but what, uh, the comments I do read, it's always kind of funny when I see people like quibbling over, Oh, I can't believe he's over him. It's like, Oh, well, you know, if, if it's eight versus nine, then, you know, I could, I buy, if you were like, if we worked on a team together, I always say this when I talk to like scout people, you know, we were working together and you said, there's no like way in hell we're taking this guy over that guy on a draft list. I'm like, okay, well, I only have like one spot apart. Like, I, 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 be, I could compromise on that. Now, if like they looked at my list and said, uh, I think it's like wait on my list. Like, let's say, uh, let's say somebody said like, there's no way like Capo Caco is better than Peyton Krebs. I'd be like, okay, that's an interesting argument. Like, I think it's kind of devoid of reality a little bit, but like, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, um, but like if someone said like, there's no way cider whatever uh let me think somebody else around there like there's no way there's no way that cough yield is or cider are worse than Kako. i'll be like yeah i know i could buy that like you know like <laughs> it's uh but i think i actually had cider over Kako. and they're all in a tier <laughs> yeah, you, yeah you had cider Kako, coffee but they're all in one tier yeah like, like, that's kind of like the point even so even though like svetch and, and Pedersen were like ones ahead of each other i think there's a little bit more projection there for svetch to you know make you know really you know top top player in the league Someone said, "Well, Pedersen has more skill than him, and he has more proven track record, proven track record, and you know, you know, and there might be a positional thing there. Even though Pedersen doesn't always take faceoffs, you know, um, I would say, okay, no, that's reasonable. You could take Pedersen. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't stress over that." Well, so, I mean, this kind of gets into something that was going to be the mailbag, too. I'm going to pull it up right now. Trevor V wants to know about your thought process on how you judge NHL players with a true proven track record versus 18, 19-year-olds who are still kind of two to three years from even being in the NHL. Is it proven sample versus potential? I think there's really two kind of good example cases for this. And one of them would be the, the most recent draft, Dylan Genther. Uh, you got him in tier four. You, you, you drop down a little bit. I mean, I think it's about 15 spots on the list, but it's a whole tier. Jason Robertson in Dallas. Now, obviously not the exact same kind of player, but I think a, a good case study for a much more advanced player age-wise versus one fresh out of the draft. What do you look at when you're judging Dylan Genther versus Jason Robertson and two kind of very different resumes? Yeah, I mean, you know, every evaluation is a balance of those things that the que- that the the questioner mentioned, which is you're balancing the toolkits. You're balancing what they've done at various levels, be it junior, college, the American League, the, Na- the National Hockey League. And you look at their ages and you look at what they've proven, particularly whenever a guy proves things versus men, and especially when they prove it at the NHL, they get a lot of bonus points from me in that regard. And you kind of have to just like balance it all. It's all like all of this is what I would call a balancing test. Is and there's no perfect way to do this. Um, the balancing tests I use in my process have changed a lot, and they continue to change every year almost. Uh, as you try to make things just a little bit more closer to reality, and you learn what what tends to predict and what doesn't. Um, and so there's no like good answer. Like I can't say, oh well, if you just have these three things, I'll put you above the proven NHL player. 
It doesn't work like that. You know, I, I have like, you know, I look at all the evidence and I say, in my opinion, this projects out to this tier of production. And then if there's guys kind of in a similar tier, I start making like tiebreakers. Tiebreakers could be positional. Tiebreakers could be proven versus pros. Um, there's other things I can use there. Um, but, uh, but that's kind of how that goes. But because of all these guys are so close, um, like I said, I could buy a, an argument where someone says, oh, well, Jason Robertson should be better than Genther. Um, even though I know I was higher on Genther than a lot of people, he went ninth. I had him two on my list. I still do. Um, and, you know, they say, oh, he proved in the NHL, great skill, amazing score, score wherever he goes, did in the NHL at a huge level. So, yeah, no, I can buy that. But I think Genther, like, is a much better skater, also continues to score really high levels historically, has great skill. You know, fierce competitor, projects as a two-way four in the National Hockey League, uh, who could PK and PP. Uh, like that's a huge asset in my opinion, and I would, I'd be willing to bet on that even as a teenager. That if you get that guy, you're talking about like a massive piece of a of a top team. Um, whereas I think Robertson is a big, can be a big part of a top team, but I think he needs to be used in in a very selective way because of his skating. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, part of what I like about this list is that it, it does ask those questions because whenever you have a list, it's just prospects. The obvious follow-up is, okay, well, how would these guys slide up against my favorite rookie or my favorite sophomore player? And and this just skips that step. Now, with that said... Yeah, I mean, I, that's, a, yeah, that's a question I always get usually around the draft. Like, where's this guy compared to this guy or that guy? Right. Yeah, 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 you know, so on and so forth. Now, with that said, the other case study that I wanted to get to on, on this topic is the, the two Buffalo defensemen who are both pretty high up, obviously Rasmus Dahlin and, and this year's first overall pick, Owen Power, um, both of whom are in your top 10. Miro Heiskanen just outside that top 10 uh, at number 11. Now, he's in the same tier as Power. He's a tier behind Dahlin. I think this is an interesting case because yeah. he, you know, Dalene's one draft year later than him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Power obviously much, uh, or sorry, one draft, yeah, one draft year later. Power obviously much later than him. Heiskanen, I would say, has now Dalene does have the better scoring season in the NHL of of all of them, obviously. But Heiskanen's been a really strong player. Where does Heiskanen fall short of both of these two guys? And again, by fall short, it's like yeah. the, mar- the margin. Because yeah. yep. again, if someone said you have to take him over power, I'd be like, yeah, no, I, I get it. Um, you know, but by power, I see, you know, if I was having this argument with a scout actually yesterday about this exact, this exact like topic. Um, and I said, you know, we, you know, just off the top of your head, Max, who would you take, Headman or Heiskanen? Uh, Headman. By decent margin or by a large margin or by no margin? Well, I, I mean, I guess if, if the game is tomorrow, yeah. by a decent margin. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so, I guess, so like, here's the question. Like, you know, obviously, like, you know, I'm not going to say Power's going to be Headman. I don't think Power's going to be Headman. I don't think that's realistic. Um, but let's just say, you know, I, I see a 6'6 guy who can really skate well for his size and a tremendous offensive hockey sense and has shown a great track record of being a great 2A forward. If I told you I think there's a 50% chance he could be Headman, you know, how excited are you about that prospect right now? You yeah, know, extremely. It, yeah, like, you know, and I think that's a realistic assessment for power. Maybe that, maybe that, I don't think it's 100% going to be that, but when you have those kind of toolkits, and that's because I think he's 50% doesn't mean the other 50% is he sucks. It's 50% might be he falls somewhere short of that. 50%, and, like not, I mean, Pareko, I guess, is another big guy. Maybe right. he's not as physical as Pareko, but. Yeah, because I guess that's kind of what I'm getting with power is like yeah. there's, I think there is because of the elite athletic toolkit he has and because there is offense, not elite offense, but there is offense. You can envision a very realistic outcome where he is one of the very best defensemen in the National Hockey League, where he is a key piece of a championship team like Hedman has been the last two years. And I think with Haskinen, um, I'm not saying he can't be that. I think he's in the projected all-star. He's obviously been an all-star. He was part of Dallas's deep championship run uh, two years ago when they just fell short. Um, but yeah, I just think... The toolkits for me, the athletic toolkits are there's there's a, definitely a gap there to power. Like Haskinen is an excellent, excellent skater, but so is Power, and he's like six inches taller than him. Um, so there is a there's even more of an upside projection there. When I think their hockey senses are kind of similar, to be quite honest, I think both yeah. of them are extremely smart players. Haskinen has got a better shot than Power does, and he's the 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 argument then it comes down to kind of what we just said before is who's proven it. And obviously, Haskinen has proven it. He's been a you know a true star player in the in the league for several years. Powers played for a week versus Men, where he was excellent, but that's not anywhere close in the National Hockey League over an extended period of time. 
Um, so that's the balance. And you can kind of see that argument from both perspectives and lean one way or the other, um, depending on, on, on what you value. And the last one would be Dowling. Dowling didn't have a great year last year. Like nobody's going to sit here and say, Oh, he was great. You, you know, you know, um, you know, he was exactly as you, as you hoped. He wasn't until the last couple of weeks when there was a coaching change, but, uh, yeah. I don't think you can just erase the first half because there was a coaching change. Um, yeah, I think you look at Dalene, you look what he's done his entire life, not just last season. You look at his teenage years, you look at his years when he was coming up as a prospect. Uh, you look at a guy who is whatever he is, 6'2", 6'3", can skate well and has you know unreal skill. Um, kind of kind of same argument I kind of said before with, with, with Ganther and with power to an extent. There is a very realistic scenario where in three, four years from now, you're talking about you know expecting 70 points out of him in a given season and yeah. like not blinking like that's insane. Like and and him being a, an important player of a Buffalo team with power that are becoming you know a real you know interesting threat maybe not you know a cup contender or, you know but like starting to become like a real playoff team and and being the two drivers on those teams and and his offense you were talking about there's it's hard for me to imagine Dali not becoming an elite offensive player in the league will he become good enough defensively to be one of the very best defensemen in the league. I think he will. I can't say for sure because of how last year went. But I think when you have – his toolkit is just so unique. And that's kind of the thing with him and Power versus Haskinen. I don't think Haskinen's toolkit is unique. I think he's just an excellent overall player. Yeah. I think Power and Dalene's toolkits are really unique where they may not be – they may not hit. But if they do, you've got like a really like dynamic player that nobody else has. And that's why everybody always chases the headmans. Well, see, what I find myself pulled toward Heiskanen on is, is you know, obviously, I, th- I think he's an extremely good defender. He's so smooth. He's so smart. But it's also the fact I watched him put up a point per game yep. in the, the in the playoffs, playoffs at the very highest level of any hockey. And it's really hard for me to forget that and having seen that and not not say, well, th- I mean, there's there's no uncertainty for me with Miro Heiskanen at all. Maybe maybe that's me being risk averse. Um, yeah, but, but I just there's I, so much there. I would say maybe no no uncertainty. That's probably an overstatement. But but yeah, I get very saying, minimal. Yeah, the uncertainty has been well. Um, but yeah, I think like I think you look at history and the guys who have Dalene Powers toolkits, particularly Powers. Like you know, I, I, this is this sentiment is shared by like a lot of NHL people. Like when people were watching Power, like there's no way this guy isn't a top pair defenseman. Like there's like there's some people who say that. there's no way. Yeah. Whether he's a true like. Superstars on like that, like you know, time will tell. But he's like, they're like, you know, you when you when you have his size, his feet, you can defend. You're really smart. Like there isn't a reality where you're not at the minimum a top pair defenseman, and the maximum, you know, is is really is really like the top echelon of the league. Yeah, and that's the really extraordinary outcome. So, I mean, I you're right. It, it's a dance. It's 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 what have they shown already to to show you that the potential is there and that it's going to materialize. Um, but it's also you know. How high can that potential be? And, and with Dallin and Power, like I can see what you're saying. The ceiling is very, very high. Yeah, and like you know, part big part of my job is projection, and I think projecting is a you can't like prove it. I think that's where, it's, where it becomes difficult to explain to readers sometimes. It's like yeah. I can't. Like, I'm projecting this, and I and I try to explain the best of my ability why. Um, but it's like it's almost like trust me, this is this could happen, and as opposed to what we've already seen. Like we have this argument when it comes to like Kaka or Jack Hughes or something like that, or, or along those lines where it's like, I think Kaka was one of the more divisive ones because he hasn't been that good in his two years. And I would like kind of make the argument like, kind of like, you know, you're, you cover the Red Wings, you know, Cider obviously was amazing in the SHL last year. Imagine if Kaka was in the SHL last year or he was in Liga. Do you remember Kako in that third period of that Traverse City game in an overtime where he was just so, so far away the best player on the ice yeah, in that well, game? Well, remember him in a, a 17. We're talking about Sider when he was yeah. 19. Remember when Kako was 17? He was like, you know, nearly yeah. a point a game guy in Liga, playing huge minutes, went to the World Championships. Really good in the World Championships. He was good at the, you know, won gold at the World Juniors. Like, he was one of the best players at the World Championships, like, overall. Yeah. Like, you know, I think that's why some people underestimate how big the jump could be from the NHL. And like not to like make your readers like more angry, but like there's a scenario where Cider isn't like amazing in the NHL in his first season, just yeah. because like the NHL is a really hard jump. And I think he will be good because he is an excellent, excellent prospect. But but that's kind of the thing with Kako is like you, I'm I you have to definitely look at what happened the last two years, and you have to hold it against him to an extent because he he wasn't good, but he was a teenager in the NHL for both of those years. 
Um, and not until he at least at the minimum gets to like 2021 where you're going to start to get like really worried, I think, if he doesn't like pop to at least a reasonable extent. But I think there's just too much skill there. And I think there's like, I, I, I'm willing to not, you know, crush a guy over his teenage years in the National Hockey League. If I've seen it in the past, I know there's a lot of excellent um, attributes in this game. Absolutely. And, and I mean, we'll veer off way too far if we go too far down this road. But, you know, it, it is a very interesting perception study of, of how guys are viewed that spend a little longer and don't get to the NHL, but are able to really tear up. Their, I mean, Jonathan Bergeron just had a, a really excellent age 20 season in the SHL, uh, one of the best age 20 seasons in the SHL in a long time. And yet a lot of the best guys to come out of Sweden aren't playing their age 20 season in the SHL. They're already in the NHL. Right. And so it's, it's, it's a big perception difference for how to understand production and kind of dominance, even just visually in those leagues, when you know the NHL is such a big jump and so many of the guys are, are getting there quick, who are these real Elias Pettersson type game breakers. Yeah, no, I mean, that's kind of the balance. That is why evaluating the toolkits are so important. You have to understand what translates and what doesn't, and you have to balance it against what you've seen both in a given season and in past seasons. You can't erase the past um, when you're evaluating players, because, especially when young players, because, uh, the, because development could be so uncertain at times. All right, I'm going to move us now into the mailbag. I thought it was a really good sample of mailbag questions this week. So kudos to all of you guys for coming up with some really good, thoughtful ones. Um, and I want to start with Nick D, who says, do you believe that the Ottawa rebuild is over? They've recently said this, and I feel they still have some questions on D and in net. No doubt their forward group is looking promising. Obviously, this comes on the heels of Pierre Dorian getting a contract extension. Uh, they seem to feel like they're ready to shift gears. Do you agree? I think it depends what you mean by shifting gears. Is I think because I think there is a realistic um, projection of them for the next season or two, where they're not bottom feeders, where they start to turn the corner a little bit, and you start seeing some progression uh, from some young players that they elevate into you know higher tiers of the league. Maybe a guy like Brady kind of advances to being among the very very best like wingers in the league or gets closer to that. Um, a lot of their other young players take some steps. I think that's all very possible. And you start seeing some more optimism in that organization. Uh, if you're asking me, do I think they're a playoff team next year? I would say no. Are they a playoff team in two years? Maybe, maybe not. I think they're going to, you know, I think Ottawa still has some of the same issues they've always had, which is they're going to have, they're going to be in tough to get premium free agents. And they're going to need those prospects and young NHL players to really hit and do so in in, in large numbers. Um, you know, the rebuild's gone very well. A little, you know, I think the, the Carlson trade's gone about as well. Anybody could have realistically hoped and probably outside yep. of the realm, you know, the outside of any kind of realistic expectations, to be quite honest. Uh, but... But things are going very well. You know, I've rated their pipeline really high, and I think a lot of those guys are close to either playing the NHL or are already in the NHL. So I think I'm not. I think as an Ottawa fan, it's okay to be optimistic. But I also think the I think in terms of what's actually going to happen here, at least what I think is going to happen is, you know, I don't think they're in the playoffs this year, and I think you're hoping within the next couple of years you get to the playoffs, whether that's two or three, maybe even four. We'll see what happens there. Um, but I think things are getting better, which I think is what you want, even if it may not be everything you want. And you kind of, you know, we got a lot of questions about Ottawa. We got questions about Detroit. We got questions about Arizona um, you know, and, and all of those. You know, I think the theme here and, and someone like Buffalo fans who might be listening can feel this reality in, in um, is that rebuilds are hard and they take a lot of time. And you need a lot of things to go right. You need those top guys to hit. You need some, you need some of those second or third round guys to become really important NHL players. And, you know, you're, you're going against the odds in a lot of those cases. And you just, that's why, you know, when you look at the approaches that both all of Ottawa, Detroit, and Arizona have taken is they understand, management understands this, that not every draft pick is going to work. Not every yeah. first round pick is going to work. Um, and you need to have a lot of those options. Um, I think I remember something that Iserman said after they traded up for Kosa that I thought rang true from people I talked to in the league and also rang true to me just from watching prospects. He said he hated trade up for Kosa, not because he didn't love Kosa, but because he hated giving up picks because he knows any one of those could be the, could be the lottery ticket yep. that gets you an impact guy. 
uh, could be your brain and point or something like that. Uh, and I think all these organizations realize that's why you get so many of these picks, not just to have the deepest farm systems and get the highest pipeline rankings from, from myself. It's because you need to, you know, you need to keep doing that because the odds are so long at any one of those picks becoming truly impactful players as I like the premium premium picks that you need to keep doing it over and over again. So I like the direction all those organizations are taking, be it Ottawa, Detroit, Arizona, different timelines. Arizona's kind of right at the inception of the rebuild. You're talking about, you know, three, five, seven, eight years probably of, of pain ahead to, you know, they have some pieces there, but they seem to be trading away all the pieces. Um, so, you know, yeah. we'll see where they are in a year or two from now, whether a guy like Chikrin stays or goes, for example. Um you know, does Keller stay? I think those are those are open questions right now after they traded Dvorak. Um, uh, but you know, for organizations like Detroit or or Ottawa, you know, there's a there's a there's a path to being in the playoffs in five years. But uh, but whether other is there a path to being in the playoffs next year or even in two years? A lot would need to go right. You you look at like the organizations that have rebuilt quickly and like things go right for them in absolute you know hilarious amounts. Like they even, go like, really right. You, you win two lotteries like the Rangers and, and move up that fast. I think the Rangers could be in the playoffs this year. Had a really short rebuild, but like that's a big break. And the Rangers get like Adam Fox. And, yes, you know, you know for free and, basically. Yeah, now they yeah, get like third round pick. But. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying. Like, you know, there's a lot of things. You know, they get Panera and walks them because they're a premium market. Um, you know, we envision that Detroit will be able to do that, um, but uh, but when when they're ready to win, but uh, yeah, no, like a lot of things need to go right. Like you even look at Tampa. Like I think Tampa was built, you know, brilliantly. You know, so many things went right there, but not everything went right there. You know, you look at those. They missed on a lot of first round picks there. Brett yeah. Connolly, Tony D'Angelo. These guys are NHL players, but yeah. they're not Slater picks. Coo- Slater, Slater Cuckoo in the top ten. Drew in third overall. Like, yeah, which they, which they found a way to turn to Sergachev, but it was it, it's not easy to draft. You know, mistake. And every manager, every director of scouting knows they're not like invincible. They know that they're going to have their screw ups, and they hope that they get a long enough sample size to hope that evens out. Here was my thing on on the rebuild is over comment is that like I don't want to give up the game too much here. I, I love what Ottawa has done. I actually think it is plausible that they have the vast majority of the pieces that are going to be their core on the next playoff team already in the system. And so in the sense of like the mindset of rebuilding, yes. that's not their mindset yeah, yeah. anymore. They, they got their top five guys. They got Stutzler. Yes, they, they got, got Sanderson. Brady and Sanderson. But, you know, just kind of like I said, you know, if one of those three don't hit. Yeah. They're and also, like, just don't say, just don't say. That's, this, is the, this is the trick. Just don't say it. When, the, when, when you're a playoff team, no one's going to ask you whether the rebuild is still going. And when you're not a playoff team and you've said that you're not rebuilding, now the really intense scrutiny comes. So I think yeah. it was a bit of an unforced error to say this because I don't think they're making the playoffs this year. And now what do you tell people when you don't make the playoffs and you've said that you're not rebuilding, whereas everyone would have assumed you were still rebuilding otherwise? Like, I think that was an unforced error. Yeah, it's fine though. I think it, it is I mean, fine, but yeah, yeah, I think everyone won't forget about that. I think it was just, uh, I understand as an excitement of signing the, your GM to an extension and, um, and I, and I, and I get that. And, and, and I think they should be optimistic about the direction their organization is taking and, and their young, and their young players. But yeah, I really like where they're at. It's, it's, it has nothing to do with what they've done because I think they've exceeded what I maybe draft per draft would have expected them getting out of it. Like I, I'm one of the big Jake Sanderson believers out there. I think I got a mailbag question for Red Wings mailbag a few weeks ago that asked me, you know, what prospect, if, if I could, would I would steal for, for the Red Wings if I was the Red Wings GM. I, I took Quinton Byfield, but I really considered Jake Sanderson because I just think that's such an important piece and style of play that he has. Big believer. I, I love yeah. where Otto's at. I yeah. just wouldn't have yeah. said it's over. Yeah, I mean, he could be – he could pl- he plays the game a lot like how McDonough plays. Like, exactly. Right? And McDonough was a huge component of the last two Stanley Cup champions. So, you know, it's a, it's a perfectly fair thing to say. And, unless, you know, and we'll see where Ottawa goes in a couple of years, see where Detroit goes in a couple of years. Um, I think Arizona and Buffalo have a longer path um, just because of where they are currently with their roster. But I think that's just kind of the common theme that I'm just kind of like trying to, to say is like this, that just rebuilds are painful. And I, I, it's why I don't think you ever want to intentionally rebuild unless it's like the absolute last option. Because it, it, I had one executive tell it to me perfectly. I'll kind of sum, up, sum, up, sum it up with this. It's really easy to get bad. It's much harder to get good. Yep. 
That's a great way to put it. Um, you, you mentioned Arizona. This is not in the mailbag, and I don't want to take too much time steering off into it. But just looking at the the pick collection that they now have for the next few years is hilarious. I mean, in next year's draft, eight picks in the first two rounds. How? What is the precedent for this? How? What, how should Arizona fans kind of be be looking at the opportunity here, especially given you know the, the Colorado pick we expect to be very late. The Montreal pick, we don't know where that's going to. That could very well be in the teens. Right, and I think there there's actually a, there was a caveat I think in that that they get the there, best the, of the Carolina or Montreal first round pick. I thought it was the worst of the two. I think it's it's the best unless it's a top ten, but both top ten, then they get the worst. I think oh, you're that right. Was, I think that you're was right. a, that, that is, was that is what it is. That is a stipulation. So you know they'll have they have a lot of capital, and it doesn't mean you know I deal with this every year with our writers that like you know <laughs> I presume presume you're always going to make the picks until they actually trade them. Yeah. Um, so I would presume they're actually going to use every single one of those draft picks in the 22 draft. But they are assets, and now that you have all these assets, they could be used in creative ways. You know they could be used to acquire younger players. They could be used to acquire higher or low or more picks. Uh, depending on your particular strategy in a given draft, they can be used to acquire maybe more high picks in the following draft. If you're looking at really a long term horizon and you don't want to, uh, you know, bunch up your reserve list with a bunch of guys in the same age group, uh, those are all reasonable approaches to take. But they have assets, and it's not only about the assets. Like, yes, they're going to have a lot of picks in this draft. It just, you know, it just is. And it's going to be fun to watch for, for Arizona Coyotes fans. But now it's about a direction. And the direction is we didn't like our core. We need a new core. And. That's the direction they're taking. I think some of their past first round picks, Victor Soderstrom, Barrett Hayden, can definitely be part of that. Um, they have some other decent young players in the organization, but they definitely took a direction that, you know, with Dylan Genther and whoever they're going to pick first, you know, in the first round this year, I think we all kind of expect them to be toward the bottom of the standings this year. Uh, you know, they're clearly taking a direction that we need pre- more premium young players. And I'll be curious to see how that rebuild goes and, and, you know, and in whether, you know, I think everybody there is ready for the pain that's about to come because it's going to be a lot of pain. It's just a reality of how rebuilds go. Uh, this is kind of a natural follow-up from, from DMART. He says, Red Wings only have four prospects in your top 100 under 23, none in the top 10. With that in mind, when do you see them as a playoff team or a yeah, cup they, contender? Yeah, I think we just kind of answered that. It's yeah. like, um, so I'm not going to go too much into what we just said over and over again. Uh I think kind of you know you you cover the wings. They're missing the they're missing the big guys. They're missing the 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 stars. And maybe Cider is one. Maybe Raymond is one. Uh, maybe Evanson. Maybe Kosa. A lot of maybes. I think Cider is most likely, just given what he's shown so far as a prospect. But it's still a maybe because he hasn't done it yet. Uh, you know, I think, and you could be as bad as you want. It's only got a twenty five percent chance to draft Shane Wright or Connor Bedard or. Or, or maybe a bit, if you love Mitchkov that much, maybe a little bit better chance in that in that draft, but still but not great odds. Then you wait for him, right? For like three, that, for three that's years, a, yeah. That's the timeline, yeah. Yeah, um, we don't need stars to be a bubble playoff team. You need good players, but you don't need like superstars. Uh, I can see somewhere in the next four or five years. I think that's. Pro- I think you'll start to inch them up, and I, that kind of said. I think. Given Eisman's a GM and given it's Detroit, I think they will be able to attract some free agents that when they are ready to turn the corner, whether it's in college or Europe or National Hockey League free agents, I think they'll be able to, to su- supplement the core, the young core there with enough to may not be a top team, but at least be a bubble playoff team, whether it's again three, somewhere between the next three, five years, I would say. Yeah, my gut was going to be three, but I, I'd add a caveat, which is that while the mindset in Ottawa now may be shifting to we're not kind of t- trading away guys anymore. Like I'm not a hundred percent sure that'll be the case in Detroit. And if you trade one of Tyler Bertuzzi or Jacob Verana, guys like that, every one of those guys you subtract, like it's really hard to find another top six forward to get you there to the playoffs. And so if they, if they are done subtracting, which I am not convinced is the case, then I think it could be as early as three, but I'm not convinced that they're done subtracting. Yeah. And some of those guys have, con- I mean, actually all of those guys have contracts that are done within the next three years. And, and that leaves even more mystery, even beyond how the prospects develop. My time watching teams rebuild is always bet against the rebuild. Columbus has been rebuilding as long as I've been writing about hockey. Uh, it's just, it's, it's just tough. And they, it just, 
building up a good team takes a long time. And, and their window was so short, even when like they had, they had a couple years where I think you could say that the rebuild was not in, in effect, but it was really short. It was two, three years. That's kind of why it meant that I thought they, yeah. they, they've been rebuilding for as long as I can remember. Yes. I know they made the playoffs a couple of times, but as a, as like, you know, as a low seed and they weren't rebuilding when they had Panarin and Bobrovsky on those teams. And even the, you know, the, the year, you know, they went all and in and traded for Duchesne. Yeah, and all that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, but just like, I, I'm not trying to pick on Columbus. I'm just trying to point out. Yet no, again, I hear you. It, like, especially for like a team like Ottawa or Arizona, where you can't attract the premium free agents, it's just so tough. And you know, so when you when those good years come, really enjoy it. All right, uh, Ethan H. How difficult is it to when scouting to balance the known information about a player's on ice capabilities with the far more unknown information about off ice habits and character? Tons of highly talented players bust because of off-ice problems not foreseen by their professional organizations. So as a scout, what ways do you kind of bridge that gap between what's on tape and what is not? It's, I, I joke with some people who are scouts sometimes that, they are, that they're talent evaluated, but they're also like psychologists. And they're like – they do like the job of an HR person sometimes because <laughs> they got to interview kids. And then they got to like break down whether they're like – they have the mentality for it or not. And it's uh, – it's an interesting it's something that i don't have great answers to and you try the best like you hear things all the time like oh this guy's a good kid or like he doesn't have like you know they tell him like something about the kid for x and y reason or something along those lines you always hear and i don't know what's true and what's not true for me i always look for like the glaring red flags like the things like oh like oh i don't didn't like how he treated this coach once like no that's not what i look for like i'm looking for something like slaps you in the face not like logan by you level because that one's like really obvious but like yeah <laughs> but, but like you like guy gets suspended or you know he has like some you know some real off ice issue that's become like really glaring and you can't avoid um stuff like that where you can tell it's transcending just like the rumor mongering aspect of the off ice stuff and it's something that's really substantive and it should be a critical part of your evaluation uh it's all important every team does character and background every team does multiple interviews usually of the guys they want to draft um, you know, in person interviews back in the day, now so more by Zoom. Um, you know, you'll have area guys do it. They'll have the directors interview the guys. Uh, all kinds of ways. You know, they'll have, they'll talk to the billet families. They'll talk to the coaches. They do all kinds. Of, they'll talk to their teammates. They'll do all kinds of homework to try and figure out who these guys are. Doesn't mean they understand everything about that aspect. Just like you make errors in evaluating uh, the talent level of players. Um, but we all try to make our best effort, at least at getting a bare minimum understanding, particularly of the top guys. Like particularly in my in my job, you know, I cover like thousands of guys. Like you can't know the character of every single guy, but the top guys, you try to at least get a good idea about. All right, Will A is, wants to talk about the twenty twenty three draft. Uh, he wants to know. It seems to be stacked with Mishkov and Bedard, but how far behind is Adam Fantilli behind them? It's far away, but does he project to be an impact NHL player at this point? Yeah, kind of what you said. It's far away. Um, you're, you're two years away. And, you know, I love all three of those players. I think if you asked me to do a 2023 ranking, they're the top three guys. I also would tell you, I don't know who the other guys are yet, or at least confidently enough to tell you that they're for sure going to be the top three guys um, come two years from now. Uh, you know, a lot changes over the course of two years. And I think they seem pretty you know, locked up there at the top of the draft and maybe one of them slips to four. Maybe there's some guy we don't really know a whole lot about that really rises in that time period. Uh, they're, they're different players. Like I think Mitchkov and Bedard are the elite skill IQ scoring types where they both have fantastic hands, you know, ridiculously good hockey sense. Both have great shots. Uh, both are kind of undersized. They're both good, not great skaters. Uh, but they're competitive, whereas Fantilli is more like the modern, like, you know, you know, premium athlete type, big, really good skater with the skill and, and the shot, but doesn't have, like, the dimensional, like, playmaking ability or offensive creativity that those two guys have. Um, so he's different in that sense. Um, I would prefer Mitchkov and Bedard right now, just off the top of my head, but a lot changes in two years. And, you know, there's a reality where two years from now, Fantilli just won the Hobie Baker and in, in his draft year at Michigan and he's the most unreal prospect you've ever seen and he's number one overall and we're not even thinking twice about it, but maybe not. 
we'll see what happens over the next two years. Uh, all three of those guys have enough flaws to where I can really pick them apart and think of their worst case scenarios, even though they all have massive strengths and are all very special prospects. Charger J, if you're Chris Jury, are you trading for Jack Eichel or letting the kids develop and, in my opinion, continue the path of rebuilding the correct way? That's Charger J saying that, not me. Um, we haven't heard Jack Eichel's name in, in, a, in a while here. I guess this is more from the Rangers' perspective. but uh, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Jack Eichel will be hearing Jack Eichel's name more often. Yes, than I would think right so. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I was, I was talking about something the other day. Like, Do you think there's a possibility he just stays in Buffalo? Ah, I, is it possible that Buffalo is going to really hold and and not give for less than their price? Yes. It's really, really hard for me to imagine another game in Buffalo, but I could be wrong. I mean, like, I just, how does the saga can, get resolved can, with his neck without can, a trade is my can they, question. Can, can they not just all go like kumbaya and just find a way to, to like work, to like work out their differences kind of thing? Like, you know, we have, we have all kinds of mediations for people to dispute. Can there not be like a mediation between like a player and a manager and an ownership group to just be like, you know, Find a middle ground. Yes. Yes, something like that. Yes, uh, it, it could happen, but I just I don't see how the how does the neck thing get resolved for him to play but, another and, game. And, and that's kind of where why he probably has been traded yet. It's a combination of he didn't play well last year. Yeah. He has he has this really you know big medical question, and they want a ton in return. You know, and you know I think if he's healthy, which is a huge if, a you know a big glaring if, if he's healthy. And he's the Jack Eichel of old. Like, oh, you get whatever prospects you have, you move those guys. Like, this yeah. is like this guy is a game breaker. I love Jack Eichel. He has every attribute you want in a top NHL centerman. Like, he's a he would be a real. He takes the Rangers from where they are right now, which is like a bubbleish playoff team, to you know being a really you know important you know team in the league. Like, you know, not you know in terms of like one of the you know the real maybe not the top top team, but like. Top on the eight. Rise, yeah, top, on the rise, top 10, top 8, whatever it is. Like yeah. he's He could be a difference maker, particularly when they're – obviously, as they well know, they're glaring need a center. <laughs> so it's uh, uh, not like glaring, but like they – you know, somebody to back up Sabinajad at for sure, you know. Um, so, yeah, like I would – you know, whether it's like Brayden Schneider, you know, Niels Lundqvist, Zach Jones, you know, Brent Othman, whoever, like, you know, those guys can go for Jack Eichel. And I love all of those guys. I think they're all great prospects, but Jack, I, you know, you look at teams that win championships, they don't have Zach Jones and Braden Schneiders. They, the key to them is having Jack Eichel. So, you know, or something similar. So even though he has paid a lot of money for a long period of time, and the medical thing is a big question. That's why, again, a bunch of hypotheticals. Uh, that's why, and I don't envy the managers trying to figure this out, both from the, the trading partners and actual Buffalo, because this seems rather complicated and I don't really know how it gets resolved. It would be fascinating if, if to see Jack Eichel playing in Buffalo this season at some point. I mean, I don't know what it would take for it to get to that point. Maybe I'm naive. I just feel like, unless he really doesn't want to play in Buffalo because they've lost so much um, and they look like they're going to lose a lot more because they just traded Reinhardt and Ristolainen. So I think it's reasonable that you've gone out in, in that regard. You know, I just. It just seems I, – I think if, if, if it's just like a dispute over like the health stuff and lack of trust, I feel like you can resolve that as like human beings. But if it's the direction of the team where, you know, realistically, they're going to be really bad next year and be bad for several years, um, then I understand why he'd want out. But uh, this medical thing looks like uh, – it seems like a big part of why this is being held up. I really pushed back on people. The night of the Pierre-Luc Dubois, the infamous Pierre-Luc Dubois shift in Columbus last season, as everyone was um, writing him out of town, I really pushed back and was like, oh, I don't think this is the end in, in Columbus. And of course, like 24 hours later, he was traded. So <laughs> I'm going to err on the side of pessimism now from now on in these matters. No, I think that's fair. Um, yeah, I the Dubois stuff, I don't know. I think that was part of the coaching staff. It was. There. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, uh, JP Claremont, since the whole Kakanami drama, I was curious about something. Do you see good return on investment with teams that drafted centers who were considered a reach for their ranks? Let's say according to your evaluation. So he's saying players like Kakanami, Barrett Hayton, Todd Delandria come to mind. I personally would throw in like a Pierre-Luc Dubois in there on the more positive side of the, of the, of the trade here. But overall, I mean, I think this is a really good question. We, we see people quote unquote, 
reach down kind of the overall rankings to get a center in drafts. And I think people would argue maybe Mason McTavish was that in this most recent draft for Anaheim. And I think sometimes we're able to kind of justify it with, well, look, he's a center. Centers are hard to find. This is a great question. What's the ROI on those decisions three, four, five years out? Yeah, and I think that's a great debate that happens in NHL front offices every season because you know, I'll have these discussions because I'll make a player list and I'll say, like, oh, I think this guy projects as, at, at, at this production level in the NHL. And I'll get, you know, whether it's an AGM or a GM come back to me and say, like, listen, Corey, I can get a winger for, like, anything nowadays. Like, if I want a winger, I can go trade a first-round pick. I get a premium winger. You know, he's on my team tomorrow. If I want a premium center, like, there's, they're just not out there. Unless you want to like give up like massive amounts of, of of young capital to get that kind of guy, so I understand where that argument comes from. That getting the guys who play down the middle for for organizations just seems like an insurmountable thing to do at times. I mean, you can't even look at like you know you look at this draft like the the draft that has happened. There was a, you know Beniers and McTavish went right away. And I don't even think anybody in the NHL is telling you that Beniers and McTavish are going to be like superstar centers or something like that. They're just they think they can be really good top two line centers, and thus they went really high. You look at this upcoming draft. We think Shane Wright's the number one, you know, number one pick. He's a center. That one's taken care of. After that, eh, comes less dice. Becomes less clear. I could talk to people who don't. You know, I think Lambert and Savoy have played centers at times in their lives, and Savoy more recently. Um, but um, um, I talked to scouts who are not convinced either of them will be NHL centers. We saw Lambert playing on the wing at the Junior Summer Showcase for yeah, Finland. Yeah, and, he was, and I think yeah, I think at the U eighteen Worlds he was on a wing too. Yeah, um, you know I think you can look at uh, you know Savoy because of his skating. Some scouts would be concerned about him being a center. Uh, you look uh, same, you know you look at Logan Cooley and you know he might be an NHL center, but because of his size, maybe he gets pushed to the wing. Maybe maybe not. Uh, so it. You're already looking at the quote unquote top options and picking them apart a little bit now and be like, oh, <laughs> there's no, not a lot of centers in this one either. Um, so, you know, uh, that's where it gets really tough at times with trying to find that, that premium center, um, at the top of the draft. And so I don't, I kind of understand when it happens that way. Um, it's hard for me to say the exact ROI over a very long period of time. I, I, you know, there were times I really believed in Cockney and Hayton as, as players, as high picks, not, you know, the exact, you know. Well, it's early too. Yeah, it's yeah, still early. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, and, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with their, with their careers, obviously. Um, but my list don't always reflect that. I, whenever, usually I do like tiebreakers between the center and the winger, I take the center. Uh, but I know NHL organizations should take much more drastic approaches. It's not a tiebreaker. It's like a clear differentiator. Like yeah. if you're a center and you're even like somewhat close to the winger, it's the center and it's not even a discussion for some for some NHL people. Like that's just the way they, they view the value spectrum is that wingers are easily replaceable. And the trade market, they would argue, reflects that. All right. Uh, next one is from Matt, and he says, why do you hate Evan Bouchard? I guess I'll ask you, do you hate Evan Bouchard? I don't hate Evan Bouchard. He seems like a nice guy. Um, <laughs> and he's a good hockey player. Um, I guess, you know, I, going back to Why are you to down him, on him as a prospect? I think yeah, is kind of the, yeah, the, the yeah. question. I, 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 I understand what you're yeah, getting yeah. there. And I don't think I'm down on him. I think I have him like as only, you know, he's, I think he's a very good prospect. I think he's a guy who could be a potential second pair defense in the National Hockey League. I understand where this is coming from because, like, I think there is an expectation that, you know, what was he, like the 11th overall pick, 10th overall pick, 12th overall pick, something around there, uh, into the 2018 draft. And he obviously was an excellent junior player, you know, had huge statistical seasons with London. Um, I was never, I think, right where I thought the hype was with him. I was always like a little bit below, but not dramatically below. Uh, I think since uh, he turned pro, he's kind of been up and down through his years in Bakersfield, with his one year in Bakersfield. And then I watched his first half there in Sweden. And I watched his limited ice time in the NHL uh, last season. And I think his puck moving is excellent. I think his shot is very good. Uh, I think the concern on Bouchard is with his so-so skating, uh, how good is he actually going to be if the offense isn't like truly standout level uh and given that he hasn't really taken a big leap yet versus men i know all those fans will argue he didn't get opportunity last season um i tend to you know be skeptical of those arguments usually i tend to think most coaches will play players if they're if they're going to help their team uh i, I but that's just you know i could be wrong about that in individual cases but uh uh 
I'll do like Evan Bouchard, but I think this season's a huge one. He's kind of got to kind of prove that he can, you know, be, you know, that the offense is really going to stand out in a significant way in the National Hockey League. And if he does that, then I can elevate his stock and be like, hey, listen, he's not getting run over defensively. The skating's not showing to be that big an issue at the NHL level. He's moving the puck really well. He's helping their power play. Like, there's a, there are things he can do, to, I think, to overcome uh, my, my current evaluation of him and maybe elevate more into like a clear top four guy, maybe even a fringe top pair type of guy because of the offense and the, particularly the offensive hockey sense I think is really excellent. Um, but given how the last, I would say, two years have gone, I, I'm a little bit below that level for him right now, even though I still think he'll be a good pro. Tough situation for him to break into, too, with a team that's really trying to make the playoffs. They have a kind of clear-cut power play quarterback with Darnell Nurse. Like it, yep. it, it has been a tougher situation. But, like, Nurse is, like, not like an elite offensive. I know he put up sure. numbers last year, but, like, like, I feel like if you're, like, a 21-year-old, which he was last year, like, I, I don't think that – I don't think it's unfair to say, like, if you're, like, truly, like, an elite player, which I don't think he is, and I don't think realistically any scout I talked to will say he's an elite prospect right now um, – you know, I think it's fair to say you should be playing. I don't think even the other fans are telling me he's an elite prospect. Probably putting words in their mouth. Uh, I think if you're just even like you know a really a true top prospect, if you're like 21 on a you know good not great team with the blue line that I don't think was like amazing. It's not like this was like you know Tampa Bay's blue line or something like that. You know that it's fair to say that he probably should have found a way to push his way into more regular minutes. All right, Nam Danan says Genther or Miroshnichenko. That's a great question. I was just watching Miroslav uh today. He just played his first first game of the season. He scored and he had a couple of preseason games. I was going through. And I was actually thinking about that while I was watching. I thought that's why I thought I was. I wanted to put that question in, even though it was kind of like you know very uh, a narrow question. I actually was just thinking about that today and talking to somebody else about that today. Uh, that I look at these guys with roughly similar frames. They're both good, not great skaters. They're both really skilled. It's not elite skill. They both have great compete levels. They both have big shots, um, both right shot, right wings. Uh, I see a lot of similarities between them, actually. And, it, you know, I have Miroslav as my number two prospect in the draft. Um, currently, uh, I won't put out a new list probably for another month, month and a half. Um, we'll see where, where he is by then. But uh, <laughs> I had Genther at number two as well. And I just see those two playing games that translate to the pros really well. And I see quite a lot of similarities other than the nationalities, to be quite honest. And that I think if Mirofichenko does it versus men, it'd be a little bit more persuasive argument. Uh, and then the last one for today from Tim Wills, your thoughts on Phil Tomasino's AHL season and how he projects to the NHL. Um, I think Tomasino's season was excellent. I mean, it's hard to argue against that. He just yeah. put up huge numbers for a teenager. And like the argument against Tomasino was never the talent. He always had great skating. He had great skill, individual and playmaking ability. He could score. The question on him as a junior was, can he be consistent enough with his effort? Will the way he plays, where he could be a little soft physically sometimes, translate versus men? And he showed it this year. He's like, hey, I play versus men. I'm a teenager. I'm, I'm making a difference here. Um, then, you know, his world juniors, I thought the inconsistency should have a little bit more there what that you kind of expected but you know it's a balance of all the information as we just kind of talked about earlier in the in the episode so you know if he plays again versus pros next season and does really well whether it's in the american league or the national league i think you'll be able to say hey listen the the, the reasons why he went to the 20s the worries about his inconsistencies his physicality you know that, that was all nonsense like this guy's this guy's a stud and uh maybe we get there in a year maybe we don't all right, that is going to do it for us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. Please also follow the Athletic Hockey Show on your favorite podcast platform and leave a rating and review if you're enjoying the show. That really helps us out. Make sure you listen to a special episode of the Athletic Hockey Show out now featuring Wayne Gretzky, who remembers the late Ace Bailey on the 20th anniversary of September 11. Subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network. Start with a 30-day free trial, and then it's just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, you can save 50% on an annual subscription to The Athletic when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. 